0: Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron. Honor to you and your house. You're listening to Trek FM. Theo Greyhawks.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Richard Marquez, and here with me is... Amy Nelson.
2: Hello, everyone.
0: And Lee Hutchison, as always.
1: Well, today we're going to be talking about an episode review, but before we do, we have a little contest that we would actually like to announce. Amy?
2: Well, we just finished up our iTunes review over in the UK. And so we would like to start our iTunes review for uh, North America. So uh, we're looking for some fabulous reviews, but whatever you feel uh, we deserve, go ahead and like us and give us some stars and leave some comments. And for the month of February, and we will go ahead and do a drawing at the end of the month for February. And what do we have for you? We have a fabulous, which I know firsthand because I got it for Christmas next generation Blu ray complete season set. This is generously donated by one of our listeners, Ju Kim. So we are grateful for him. And so go ahead, get on the iTunes, give us some stars and review and we'd be very grateful
0: remember it's a five-star review as well so leave any type of review you want but five-star reviews will be the one that will be entered into the contest to win the
1: prize Outstanding. All right, so let's dive into this episode. Okay, today's episode is gonna is an episode review about Tin Man, one of my favorite TNG episodes, as well as the first episode that I started with in my Star Trek fandom. Just to give you guys a little bit of a history on this, this episode aired April twenty third of nineteen ninety. The story was written by Dennis Putman, Bailey, and David Bischoff. Directed by Robert Shearer. The original story was based off a 1975 story called Tin Woodman by the same people who actually wrote the story for TNG. And it was originally published in Amazing Science Fiction Stories and later became a novel in 1979. The short story was later nominated for a Nebula Award in 1977. Everyone can watch this episode and you can even listen to From There to Here 137 with Jarrah Hodge and Will Wynn so after rewatching this episode what did you guys think of this episode
0: yeah, for me personally it's an episode I haven't watched in quite a long time the one thing that I always remember about this episode and still love about this episode is the guest Harry Groner I believe his last name is I'll always remember him and love him most of all for being the mayor in Buffy season 3 he's such a charismatic guy in that episode The kind of the total opposite to what you get with him here where he's quite nervous insecure and Buffy's this Egotistical, confident, hysterical kind of mayor um, who ends up becoming an evil snake that tries to kill all the school kids. But that's another podcast. And so it was quite. I was quite excited to dive back into this because, I say, I just barely remembered anything about this episode apart from some of the key story beats and and the guest star.
2: Well, I do remember Tin Man definitely is one that I remember. It's I don't love it, but I don't hate it, of course. So. It's always, I always wondered why it was called Tin Man. But now that it's based off of that story, you've answered that question. So I, I liked it. The character, I didn't care for that actor because he just looks weird to me. So I always remembered it because of that. It's like, oh, that one guy I don't like. But I really enjoyed the story and I'm looking forward to talking more in depth
1: with you. Yeah, this episode actually, uh, it resonates more with me, obviously, because it's my first episode ever in being introduced into Star Trek. And something I found, the story is actually um, mirrors the book that was made back in 1975. Um, a psychic boy is taken by a starship at the request of a government. The boy is considered both a misfit as well as dangerous, and it has the, the ability to read minds. Beta Z <laughs> on Earth. However, once aboard, he travels into deep space where he comes into contact with a Sentinel starship, which basically is the same exact story. And reading back through it, it's it's actually a really good short story because I read it years ago. Hmm. Um, it's like a it's like a hundred seventy page book or something like that. But I, I mean, but it was like a very long time ago since I've since I've read it but it's a very interesting novel or at least the novel version is very interesting um and I recommend any everyone to actually read it because it's a very interesting book or at least why don't think you it tell is.
0: us about the bouquet Richard
1: <laughs> well I, I just basically gave it to I just gave the synopsis on it uh but like it's the mission of the crew is somehow communicate with the alien you know, it's just it's it's the, it's like I said, it's the mirror of of the episode. In this episode, Tam can't seem to filter out all the voices in his head because he's he's able to hear everyone's thoughts and and whatnot. Even at the early age, he wasn't able to filter it out. So what I didn't like about this episode when it when it dealt with that part is that it considered it as a disability and i don't think i didn't really like i mean i I felt that that was that was a filler part of the show to add more substance to the story it didn't it didn't resonate me well with me because it was like yeah but could it be just someone being different or something like that and has an ability and he's just trying to get over it but does it have to be a disability
2: well i think in any respect or a general definition of disability I mean it was prohibiting Tam from doing his job in part because he was so overcome and so I think by that definition it is a disability and I found it interesting you know when uh, Troy was like hey can I come and greet tam with you and he's like oh do you know him and yeah i I, troy's like oh yeah i was he was there when i was studying psychology and so picard just assumes that he was a colleague and she's like no he was a patient and so that again changes that shift so there is some i mean he was there for treatment so there is some recognition that yeah this is a disability because he isn't functioning within normal parameters as i guess data would say
0: it definitely is a disability like you can take that as a professional answer it's 100% a disability while you could argue it is a disability to us if he was kind of human while he's kind of a beta Z and he can hear voices that's kind of par for the course for him but the way it's affecting him you would class that more as a mental health issue so in a kind of Human level, it's a disability, and a beta Z level, it's a mental health issue.
1: Mm. All right, I guess you guys got that one. (laughs) (laughs) I actually had a question for you, Amy. So, we were talking about this episode a while back, or a little bit, a little while back, and you mentioned that this is a Troy episode. Do you think it's a Troy slash? data episode or do you think that it's leaning more on one, uh, more to one side hmm just to give you a background what i'm thinking is that i was thinking more it was more of a data story because it he t- he's talking to tam about existence and obviously he's more comfortable with them because he can't hear his thoughts so uh, and we really don't see Tro- i mean we see troy but i mean it's not as in depth like it was with data
2: yeah i would agree i mean it- I guess when I say it was a Troy episode, it's like, well, Troy, we actually see her and she plays an important role, which is sometimes rare for her. So, but yeah, it is interesting to see the data character being explored because usually it's data doing the exploring on humankind. And so now we have Tam exploring data. And so we get to learn a lot about data through Tam's eyes because he can't read them. And I've, I just had to laugh when they were in data's quarters and Tam's snooping around I couldn't even believe it well why are you sitting here well you know I made this computer console so that it runs more efficiently and faster and then he's like lifting up oh you paint I was, and it if data had feelings I would have felt that he was annoyed because he was just looking at him like what are you doing you know
1: <laughs> yeah and he is a very annoying character <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think as well that the title of tin man doesn't necessarily have to refer to the named creature that is Tin Man I think Tin Man is a a multi-dimensional episode title and actually refers much as to Data's role in this episode as it does the creature because you know I think when we think of tin Man, if someone went to me, what's a tin man? And I would say it's a robot. Yeah, I think it's a clever title in that they've kind of taken this idea of the tin man creature and uh, used it as a way to kind of emphasize on data as well as a kind of tin man in himself. He's a, he's a robotic tin man. And this other tin man is a kind of more organic life form in a way. So it's almost the kind of polar opposite to what we would be conditioned to think of when we hear the words tin man.
1: It's just convenient. It's very convenient. (laughs) Or
0: clever writing.
2: Yeah, similarly, when I hear Tin Man, I automatically think, uh, Wizard of Oz and this actual Tin Man, but he doesn't have a heart. And so when you apply that to Data or when you apply it to the space entity who lost its crew, I mean, literally, Gumtu did not have his heart because there was no crew, you know, with within that. So I
1: think it is a very fitting. And he hasn't seen one of his own kind in a very long time. A millennia, I think that's what they said. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I could see that being hauled out <laughs> like a tin man. <laughs> awesome. So one of the things that I actually did my rewatch on this uh, actually a couple of days ago, I heard a lot of the music. For some reason, I am now listening to more of the music on these episodes now. And just to give you guys a little background, the music actually was done by uh, Dent J. Chataway, and he was a guest composer. And of course, you know, we all know, uh, know him very well because he's been doing a lot of music for a lot of other uh, TNG episodes. I always see his name for Voyager. This is actually his first time he's ever done um, a composed music for Star Trek. So before I even knew that, one of the things that I noticed rewatching these episodes Episodes, the music. And for some reason, the music felt louder. Did you guys feel that or, or something like that when you rewatched this?
0: Yeah, I totally agree. It, it certainly stood out in a way that Star Trek music often doesn't. As I mentioned again before, Rick Berman had a kind of philosophy in a way that the music should be more kind of background as opposed to complementing the music and driving the music. So I think that's kind of broke with kind of the Rick Berman view of how Star Trek music should be produced. So yeah, it certainly certainly stood out there and then I can imagine someone being you in the job, you might not necessarily have had those confines that other people that were kind of in there a bit longer had.
2: Well, I give all the credit to now that I recognize and hear the music much more to Brandon Shemital, the host of Melodic Treks and I've, I've mentioned it to him I'm when I re I'm like oh my gosh the music is so fabulous and so I think just noticing and recognizing and myself learning about it and he's done good episodes about Jay Chataway and I've learned a lot through that so it definitely is now more in the forefront than it was when I originally watched it.
1: Right that flute whenever they play obviously talking about Guntier or, or you know uh, yeah anytime they uh, mention gum to the flute always seems to play and it, it's like one of those memories of mine that I was like oh yeah I that's one of the things I really love episode like inner light is, is another one that plays a flute as well this one just yeah <laughs> sends me down memory lane
2: <laughs> yeah it's cool that gum has his own little theme
1: and it's very cute. It's like one of those, is, is it a kazoo? Is that, is that what the, I think that's what they used for gum too. I I, I don't know. I, I'm not a musician. So yeah, I, don't I, I guess know. if someone wants to, you know, educate us, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Let us know on the Babel on. conference listeners. I'm go. a philosopher, not a musician. So yeah, <laughs> I can't help <laughs> Yeah, another one i sorry. <laughs> also another fact, something that was also put on from there to here on 137. When Data and Tam enter Gumtu, the ambient sound that Gumtu made was derived from sound effects editor Jim Wilmington's stomach through a stethoscope while he was eating pizza, which is absolutely gross. <laughs> Cause like I, I could have done without that. And because when I because I read that and then watched it, I'm like, oh, my God. No, 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 no.
2: (laughs) That's so funny you say that, because this week I've not been feeling too well. And like, I just will eat the smallest of thing. And there goes my stomach. And I'm like, oh, it's come to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would have never put two to two together. I mean, it's like it it does sound like something's going through uh, someone's stomach. But I mean. Let's not try and gross everyone (laughs) out.
2: Interesting how they will just take whatever sounds they can get, right?
0: <laughs> mm, but that's sound effects for you. Like, is, you see, there's some, especially on the Star Trek 2009 Blu-ray, uh, you get to see uh, Brad Bird, the guy who famously did all the sound effects for Star Wars. He talks through how he designs sound effects, and like all of them come from some amazing things. Like Jurassic Park is a brilliant example of kind of ingenious sound effects of how they what they use to create the dinosaurs noise twister is like uh, for a tornado is like tiger noises and everything like that it's it's an absolute work of art and i think the people that are do the sound effects truly are geniuses for how they can turn everyday things from eating pizza into the sound of an alien and it's cuz how else are we going to get these sound effects of of new life forms and new civilizations when we're when we're sadly stuck on earth
2: agree
1: yeah yeah it, yeah it it makes sense i mean obviously they're inside a living creature so. Why not? (laughs) Is this a good episode for someone to start with? Or is this like something you should like leave it later on down the road or something like that? Or, you know, because I mean, like I said, this is what started. I mean, obviously for me, it worked (laughs) as an 11 year old boy. uh, It worked perfectly for me.
0: Yeah. Why did it work for you then, Richard? Yeah. Like, let us know, like tell us about like how you watched it for the first time, your experience of it, why it made you want to watch more. What what did your 11 year old self think about it?
2: Yeah. What was the hook that drew you in?
0: Yeah. And you're podcasting about all these years later.
1: One of the things I really like about this episode is that A, the music, B, it was a a data story. And I really do enjoy a good data story, or at least I think it is. It's a data story. But really what drew me to this episode was the starships. Before uh, it was remastered, to me, it was spectacular. And I absolutely love the idea that, you know, they're, they're racing to make contact and they don't even know what it is. It's like one of those mysterious stories that they don't know what's in front of them. They need to figure out what's going on clearly it's important to the Romulans and we just need to figure out what the, what this thing is and I think that it was the whole race to actually get there and basically make contact with this alien and that's what I really love about this episode I mean even watching it again I watched it today again and it's that whole entire like everyone talking and everything and, want, and how important for everyone so the, I mean that's ultimately what I liked about it is that it got me excited for whatever reason <laughs> so And it's just, it's, it's, I mean, I think it's a really great story. And I think on top of it, reading the book really uh, makes it more enjoyable for me.
0: And how did you first see it was on television? Was it Richard?
1: When I watched it, it, I was living in England and I was, where were we? Were you enjoying it with a cup of tea? (laughs) No. (laughs) No, I don't think I drank tea then. (laughs) No, I was 11 years old, and I remember sitting on the floor watching this whole entire episode. And I wouldn't doubt it if my mouth was open. I'm like, what's what's going to happen next? <laughs> 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 and it, it was probably on the BBC because actually at the time when I watched it, it was on reruns. So that was the first time I ever watched Star Trek because when I was 11, it was 1994, somewhere around there. And uh, yeah, it was... Yeah, it was very exciting. It was a very exciting uh, first experience (laughs) because I could never get enough of Star Trek after that. What did you guys think? Did you guys think this is a good episode for someone to start with? Uh, No, I wouldn't show
0: this to someone to start with uh, if they were looking to begin a Star Trek journey of any kind. Um, I would show it to people as a kind of discussion, debate, perhaps about kind of Mental health and kind of how we approach people that have difficulties and kind of perhaps judgments that we place on them. Kind of Riker's behavior towards was pretty out of line. But I think there was aspects where people seem to show a complete un- misunderstanding of his condition and his ability. And as someone that has worked with people before that have people talking in their heads and everything like that, that well we can have. You know disagreements about how their behaviour has perhaps affected certain parts of people's life. As I say, they were referencing the mission earlier on. We should kind of have some empathy and respect for these people, and I think it kind of clashes with what. Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future was that we're meant to be this inclusive society and it doesn't look like it kind of necessarily um, applied to this chap here so yeah I think it would present an interesting moral discussion in a classroom about how it's how this, what this episode means, how it's interacting you know strip away the sci-fi elements and look at the the people involved the behaviour of the crew, the behaviour of this individual and what does it say about mental health in the future and what does it say about people's attitudes towards it
2: agreed i also like this episode and and feel that you can contrast how different species do their first contact you know because a lot of the episode is dealing with the Romulans versus the Federation and who's going to make first contact. Well, it seems like that the Romulans already had contact and that it didn't go well since Tin Man uh, destroyed one of their ships. And so they were out to kill Tin Man and get their revenge for what Tin Man did. And so you really get to see how the Federation deals with first contact. Well, we want to, you know, talk to it and bring it to a safe place and, you know, versus the Romulans where they're going to go after it. And obviously the first contact did not go well. So I think that really is a a good starting point in that respect that it's like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of first contact issues. And how are we going to Approach new species, and this is gives it one perspective.
1: Yeah, I would actually agree on that. That to be honest, like when the way R- Riker reacted to him, I mean, initially, it's I can understand why because he lost what two friends in in uh, the from conflict. the academy, right? Exactly, two friends from the academy in whatever uh, diplomatic altercation that they had. But I mean, I can understand how he feels. I mean, because you know. D- If if there's no information, uh, you know, available, you're obviously going to make your assumption and draw your own conclusions. But at the same time, it... In it, it, to me, it, in order to like, I guess honor those people's memories, I would I would think that he would at least you know ask and find out what happened, and then you know understand what's going on, and maybe that would have probably helped this uh, the episode more when it comes with dealing with mental health.
2: Well, don't you find it ironic that we learn about the true mission and how Tam was not found guilty by the inspectors of that mission from Jordy? another disabled if you will you know so it's jordy who's explaining you know in the turbo lift to data you know sort of well he was he wasn't found of any wrongdoing by you know the federation and so we do get that shift that it's like okay maybe riker's over exaggerating his feelings but then we get this laforge his story that's more i think accurate
0: I think in defense of Riker as well, that what's really going on with Riker is that they're off to this mission where they're going to be up against the Romulans, you know, the Warbirds that could probably take out the Enterprise with a few shots. And they've now introduced an unstable element to a critical situation that could, you know, potentially be the difference between the Enterprise having a successful mission and the Enterprise, you know, being destroyed and Tin Man going boom. So I think Riker in a way is taking the kind of stance of a kind of an executive officer. He's examining the situation and looking to find out what's going to be best for the crew. So I think while his approach and use of words and language isn't necessarily something I would endorse, I can see where he's coming from as a...
2: Well, and that's evident when at the beginning of the episode, Riker is the one to suggest, well, do we need to separate the saucer? You know, keep the, the... Children, you know, again, why are they on a starship of that magnitude? But, you know, to separate. And so this is obviously a dangerous mission. And so, yeah, you see that from Riker.
1: Oh, I'm so glad you actually mentioned that because I love the beginning when the hood rendezvous with the Enterprise that they automatically say, well, you know, you're on that luxury liner. (laughs) It just obviously, you know. Hilton in the stars. Hilton in the stars, thanks to Standard Orbit. Great group of guys. Ken and Zach.
2: Another thing that I really liked, well, in part because I've listened, I've been to conventions and, and heard Marina Sertiz talk and and she always in both years that I've seen her, she always credits working with uh, Brent Spiner as a highlight. And so to see her and Brent Spiner at the end of the of this episode where she gives him a little hug, I can just imagine the outtakes and the fun things because Brent Spiner was always the, the character. So it's just funny because now knowing what Marina feels about Brent and just to see that, I just it, it plays with my mind. I, I wish there was more deleted scenes because I'm sure there was something fun going on with that take. So
0: yeah, it's quite funny just the way it ends him, kind of smiling, looking out the the window. It's a bit a bit on on the nose, but yeah, it's an, a nice moment. And I say it certainly ties into the fact that he's there a you go. tin man.
1: <laughs> We're just not going to go away from that joke, are we? <laughs> oh. It's not a joke. It's a <laughs> it's a fact. Fact. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I yeah uh, I rem I remember uh, a lot of the interviews and yeah I would also like to see all that because maybe maybe on this new uh, series that we'll start seeing more deleted scenes and outtakes and all that kind of stuff. I mean because that seems to be uh, the growing trend for almost every movie and and even uh, TV series. I mean like Agents of Shield is we always I always see deleted scenes and you know bloopers and everything and they even have that. Have you seen the blooper um, reel um, that's on all the Uh, blu-rays
0: yet yeah i always enjoy a good star trek blooper reel the ones on the kelvin timeline blu-rays are always a a good laugh yeah
1: I, I love the ones that are always with Jordy and uh, Michael Dord or I am like, yeah, Jordy and Worf, uh, especially there was there's one of them. I don't know what season it is. It pro- it's probably on season five, but they do something and then they get they high five each other. <laughs> Absolutely love that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm still working my way through. I only got my uh, Blu-ray, you know, for at Christmas time. So it's only been a month, but I'm working my way through and looking forward to seeing those.
1: Now, did you get one through seven or did you just yes. get? Speci- okay.
2: What? How would, why would you not get one through seven?
1: It, I don't know. <laughs> it's a big box. Yes, <laughs> I know <it> that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Cause I had the, D- I have the DVD versions. I don't have the full Blu-ray um, ver- version. I w- really wished I did.
2: Yeah. I have those too. But I was told by everyone, especially on the Babel conference, that I need to get the Blu-ray. So that's what I asked.
1: And I told that story. And you know what? Uh, speaking of that, I am, I, I'm glad you said that because, you know, I absolutely love the touch-ups that they did on this. It's so crisp. I don't know. I don't know if it's if the standard is different for other. But I think this one was one of the best uh, that the all the all the. Um, all the starships just look fantastic. It looks like it was meant for, it looked like it was already originated, or I'm sorry, it was already meant to be for Blu-ray. Because <laughs> it. they just look so crisp. Every scene looks so great. I can even tell the detail of the carpet. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the enhancements definitely are, are worth it. I always notice, like, the planets just really stand out, and they're so beautiful, and they've got a nice shine to them, and more detail, it's like you can see the continents a little bit more, and, I mean, I think even Tin Man was, you know, upgraded, so, it was a really good episode
0: just remember this episode won the emmy for special effects as well so it's good to see it in the way it should always have been seen and not just you know the they just uh, emphasize what was already there this isn't some sort of george lucas edition where they've gone in with a new and improved tin man this is an emmy award-winning episode for special effects showing the way it should be seen and not just on a kind of low-res edition
1: 3 po ep- episode oh, that movie's
0: terrible. Um, I know. uh, Yeah, like it's it's, it's pretty awesome.
1: Well, talking about all kinds of Tin Man on The Next Generation, this isn't the only topic that we've been talking about here on the network. Here's a quick look at what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Was the BBC wrong
0: in doing this? Not under the auspices that this is a kid's show. And showing it during, you know, uh, when, when kids would be watching. Because if you think about it, there's uh, 75 other episodes that they did show. Some with some minor editing, which I think would have been appropriate. The
1: 602 Club.
0: Yeah, I think they did a great job casting her, casting Melissa as Supergirl. Because she has the right mixture of that Kansas, Midwest, meekish, kind of personality, but you know what she's capable of. And I think that's a really nice analog to the way that Christopher
1: Reeve played Clark. Stage nine, a podcast about the people who make Star Trek.
0: He has worked with Robert Rodriguez. He was Rodriguez's cinematographer before Rodriguez started shooting his own movies, having worked with him on From Dusk Till Dawn, not the TV show from Dusk Till Dawn, the original masterpiece.
1: Okay, that's always Uh, where we go right off the rails right there. You're throwing in the word masterpiece right there. And that's what else is happening on Trek.FM.
2: You can listen to every show on the network at Trek.FM with links for iTunes, streaming services, and a direct download link. This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, iPod, Kindle, Android, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com/trekfm. Thank you Audible for supporting Earl Grey and Trek FM. If you are a weekly listener and would like to directly help Earl Gray, please consider becoming a patron of Trek FM. At patreon.com slash trek.fm, you can choose a pledge level and receive rewards for becoming a Trek FM patron. You will be inside the observation lounge of our network, able to participate in our monthly patron roundtable podcasts and supporting the production of all our great content. Another way to help out the network is to get cool stuff and visit Redbubble at redbubble.com slash shop slash Trek FM. You can find amazing designs uh, for shirts, pillows, phone cases, and more. And with each purchase, a portion of the sales goes to Trek FM. Connect with other TrekF listeners on our Facebook discussion group called The Babel Conference, found through the Facebook search field B-A-B-E-L, or like the Facebook.com slash TrekFM page for show updates and announcements. The network is also on Twitter at TrekFM. If you would like to contact Lee, Richard, or Amy, that's me, visit Trek.com fm slash contact to send us a subspace message or find us on social media
1: so lee where can everyone find you on the internet
0: all over the place you can find me on twitter at lee underscore nostromo you can find me at star trek vhs sharing star trek vhs artwork Um, and you can find me on several other podcasts you can find me on the filibuster podcast talking about geek and nerd culture just this week um, we've done a podcast uh, commentary for star trek beyond so me tristan riddell and matt Hansen have uh, put that out there so check that out if you want to hear our thoughts on uh, the latest star trek movie and you can find me producing and sometimes appearing on the glasgow's green podcast at GigPod, um, talking about celtic football club and everything that's going on there in the world of football and I'm not going to acknowledge it as soccer so American listeners
1: have to accept yeah, it's football, football. soccer <laughs> football, <laughs> and Amy where can everyone find you
2: well you can find me Uh, on twitter at miss amy nelson uh there i'm tweeting which episodes i'm watching which might give you a little hint as to what will be coming up since i tweeted i was watching tin man (laughs) just the other night uh but you can also find me on the babel conference trek fm's dedicated facebook page and definitely look forward to uh reading and replying to your comments there uh richard what about you
1: well, uh, they can also find me on the Babel Conference as well. And my Twitter handle is X Ransom. Until next time, join us for another cup of Earl Grey. Great
2: joy and gratitude.
1: Punch it. Today is a good day to die.